0: I'm going I'm to set a good example here. I'm going to turn my cell phone off. I'm going to turn my cell phone down here. Let's make sure there's no interruptions that are unnecessary during the panel. Good to see you, sir. How are you? <laughs> and um, I'm Mike Pregen. I'm a senior fellow here at the Hudson Institute. Thank you all for being here. Um, thank you to the C SPAN audience for, for being here as well, for, for being able to watch this. Uh, this is a, an, a timely panel, a series of panels on the Iraqi elections. And I have with me today a group of experts uh, on Iraq and two Iraqis specifically that have just recently come back, and then Jomana, who's a Syrian-American, who just came back as well in a a different role. And I'm going to have them all speak about their recent experiences, current situation in Iraq as it pertains to three major issues – the Shia protests in the South, uh, security backslide issues and government formation, and the government formation part can actually exacerbate these issues. Mm -hmm. So We're looking at all those things. Um, We're going to continue to do these panels, and we're going to continue to bring experts, and hopefully you'll be able to join again as as this government formation takes place, so that we can see where we were right, see where we were wrong, and see how not surprised we are at how right and wrong we were, because Iraq is constantly moving around and changing. So with that, uh, let me introduce... Uh, our panelists. Can I, can I borrow that real quick just to make sure? Oh.
1: What? Um, this, is not the-
0: this is not the sheet. No. Okay. <laughs> I
1: think we we'll left
0: This is great. I left my sheet where I was going to say all these wonderful things about them in, in the office. <laughs> all right. So, uh, to to the far left there is Omar Badawi. Uh, he is the director of. The Iraq director at Griffin Partners. Griffin Partners. Sorry about that. And he. Uh, he has a lot of experience with with looking at uh, U.S. foreign policy in Iraq, looking at uh, the current situation in Iraq, and and his perspectives are, are going to be great with this panel because, as you know, I'm kind of a counter narrative guy. I talk about I criticize U.S. foreign policy. I talk about the narratives that were here coming out of Iraq, and this will be a good opportunity to hear uh, Iraqis challenge those narratives and tell us which way we need to go. And I'm always happy to be wrong, and I hope I hope you can set me on the right track. Mm. Uh, and to his. His right is Jamana Kadir, yeah. and uh, she. What's that? <laughs> and she recently uh, c- came back uh, from Iraq. She was in a uh, a position uh, where she looked at refugees across different sects, human rights issues in, U- in Iraq across There's different a senior sects.
1: Senior policy analyst at the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom.
0: Right. Yes. And, and in that, you, you went and visited these refugee centers and looked at some of the human rights issues and, and the government responses to these things. And it's great to have your perspective here, because you could actually give us some of the atmospheric, some of the actual pulse of the Iraqis that were actually in these positions and, and what they thought about government for, uh, formation or government in general, and especially U.S. foreign policy. And, and Ahmed Ali, somebody I've known for, for over a decade, uh, who's Iraqi, who, who covers all these issues. Uh, who worked at the Institute for the Study of War and was their Iraq analyst, did some great work there. I've often cited his work. Mm. And uh, it's good to have him uh, give us a pulse of what the Iraqis are thinking as well. And he's our m- most recent returnee from Iraq as we look at uh, the different uh, political parties in Iraq that are vying for for power and that are trying to form these alliances. So in the, this format, we basically try to run this uh, like a Sunday morning news format. I'm going to set, throw out a scene setter, and then we're just going to throw different issues to our panelists. And basically, we're talking about today. There are three main issues. We have Shia protests in the South, uh, not only the burning down of the Iranian consulate, but also the burning down of Dawa mm-hmm. party offices, Kitab Hezbollah offices, Barakor offices and Asab Ahol Haq offices, and all those different names. Th- that is a rejection by the Iraqi people of the increasing Iranian influence in Iraq by targeting religious entities or, correction, political entities and militias tied to Iran. And then you have ISIS, a resurgence in ISIS, uh, in Kirkuk, in Salahuddin in Diyala provinces, where our campaign has basically said ISIS is defeated yet. You can look at ISIS attacks every day. And then the big one, government formation and the continuing shifting alliances. We now see Hadi al and Mukhtar al sadr forming an alliance, which means you have Sarioun, mm-hmm. who won the who won the most votes, mm-hmm. and then you have Fata, which came in second, marginalizing the U.S. preferred candidate. Body and his Nasser party. So I'm going to throw that to Ahmed, I know that, that's a lot, but oh, yeah. Ahmed just let us know what's going on in Iraq.
2: In good. Thank, thank, uh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, thank you very much, Mike, for uh, having us and thank you for organizing uh, these panels, which I think are very important, because last time uh, we had a major war in Iraq was uh, by 2010, and by 2010 this town, uh, a lot of analysts in, in this town, they forgot about Iraq. And then all of a sudden we had ISIS. Uh, so I think it's important to keep attention on, on on Iraq and what's happening in Iraq. And of course, I would be remiss if I did not thank you for your service to, to our nation, to the United States. You know, for 28 years working, you know, working with the U.S. military in different capacities. So we, I'm, I'm a regular traveler to Iraq, and uh, I just got back on on Sunday, actually. You know, from uh, from the country. And uh, every time I go, I have the ability to travel, you know, within different parts of the country, and uh, clearly. Um, interview and talk to different uh, personalities, stakeholders and people interested in the politics of the country and I think with these uh, with these elections with the May 12th elections they seem uh, they seem uh, very, a uh, very, uh, very long time ago, but they really uh, are, you know, we have to still analyze the implications of what happened since May 12th and uh, the issues that came up since May 12th and how they affect the, uh, the way Iraqis and the average Iraqis perceive the political system in Iraq. I think, Mike, right now we have uh, a major crisis uh, for the political system in Iraq. There's a legitimacy. Uh, Question about the political system in Iraq uh, and Iraqis who uh, endorsed the politics of the country for a very long time. I don't think uh, the majority of Iraqis, if you do polling now, would see. Uh, Elections as a way, uh, or politics in general, as uh, as a conducive avenue to address their grievances, to address address their uh, their needs, and uh, that doesn't uh, only cover the Iraqi Sunnis, for example, who have always seen the political process. Uh, as uh, as not 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 necessarily representative of their ambitions, but it covers uh, you know most all, all, all Iraqis. I would say the Iraqi Shia, you know, the protests that that you mentioned that have been taking place in Basra. These are by the Iraqi Shia and uh, young Iraqi Shia who uh, do not remember Saddam Hussein anymore. They 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 look at uh, 2003 and they see a political class that has not delivered for the country, and they're upset. And even though the political class is dominated by by Iraqi Shia, they, they don't see that as as representative of of their ambition, uh, and same thing. If you go to uh, to uh, Iraqi Kurdistan, it's uh, uh, people are also very concerned about the political system and the nature of the political system, and they're voicing that that concern. I think that, um, uh, as as you and I always talk, Mike, uh, indicators and warnings, right? Uh, right? right. Indicators and warnings for the dissatisfaction that Iraqis by all you – know, from all backgrounds have is the low turnout that we saw on Election Day, which was a, which was a big crisis. So I have that. I wanted to, to say that, and I'm clearly speaking for myself here. But on the government formation, uh, we're also entering a very crucial period of time right now. Uh, we had the election of the, of the speaker, uh, Speaker Mohammed Halbusi, who's a young guy. He's uh, 36 years old. He's he's as old as I am, Uh, which tells you something about where people end up uh, in in life. But uh, he is from an Iraqi Sunni uh, political uh, party. He's backed by Iraqi Sunnis. Uh, If you look at the Iraqi press now, you see a lot of uh, coverage uh, of his election and what it means uh, for the country. And I think uh, so far we were unable to say. If uh, if he will be uh, you know more closer to the Iranian government, for example, or closer to us. Uh, I think it's too early to tell, and what I have learned about Iraqi politics, just being inside the process in, in, in various capacities, is that it does it does take it does take some time until you until we know the direction in which uh, every position will will go and the the players and, and the decisions they take, and uh, clearly today we also have uh, the nomination of uh, Dr. Barham Saleh, the former Prime Minister of the Kurdistan Regional Government. Uh, by the Patriotic Union of Kurdistan to be to be the the president uh, of the country it's only an, an early nomination we have to wait until uh, October 2nd and after that the parliament the Iraqi parliament will have to sit down and uh, decide whether vote on on Dr. Barham Saleh or or somebody else but Dr. Barham Saleh clearly is a well-known uh, person uh, internationally and even even yeah. domestically so uh, so we this is where we are where we are today in terms of how the population feels about the political process and also uh, the political uh, the political dynamic as as it stands
0: to be. So so I want to ask you, Omar, if there was an election based on what based on what Ahmed has said, if there was a redo of the election, would we still see the same outcome based on what's what's transpired since the since the see so we had about twenty five percent turnout in in Iraq in this yeah. election. Yeah. And would we still see the same turnout based on these these uprisings? We now see disenfranchised we've now seen the Shia population of Iraq join the disenfranchised communities of the Sunnis and join the disenfranchised communities in, in, in Northern Iraq and the Kurdish regions. So what would an election today look like based on the, the, the things that have changed since May 8th? So uh, I think I agree with Ahmed that uh, Iraq's problem is, uh,
3: a, to a great extent, a crisis of credibility and legitimacy of the, of, the, of the current political order to where, of what the political class has taken the, uh, the political process to. Um, The official numbers, I think, for for the turnout in this election was 44%, which is the lowest, if true, the lowest uh, turnout in in, in any Iraqi election since 2003. But like you said, there's speculation that the numbers were even much lower uh, than that in the 20s and and, and even below. Uh, And That was compounded by the fact that there are serious uh, suspicions of, of electoral fraud. Uh, and those were not really sufficiently addressed by the partial recount that took place after that. That actually deepened the sense that there was, you know, some foul play. We had the warehouse that housed the uh, the, the ballots uh, set set ablaze, uh, obviously by uh, or ostensibly by, by parties that were trying to hide some of the the traces of what of, of the what you know of the manipulation, and we had a. Uh, Council of, of commissioners of the electoral uh, uh, commission that was sacked and replaced, and even with the recount, with all the uh, sus, you know suspicious conditions that that associate, were associated with that, we had a recount that didn't really produce any change in results. So I think that deepened the suspicion, of or let's say, deepened the credibility uh, the. Doubts about the credibility of the results and of the of the whether of whether the the current political uh, class, the people who are sitting now in parliament, were actually, you know, uh, chosen by the people. Now, if Iraqis were to to if Iraq was to have another election, the question is, can Iraq have another election? I think the 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 issue of what I just mentioned has really delegitimized the the uh, the. Commission, uh, the election commission, in the eyes of many Iraqis, and this will have to be addressed before any elections have, can happen, and this includes, you know, not only future general elections but also the the provincial elections, which are to happen in, uh, I think, in December, uh, and I, you know, I wonder what Ahmed uh, actually has to say about this. Is he, he travels to the provinces more 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 frequently? Um, the current situation with the protests, I think, uh, makes it really essential that Iraq has a uh, a new set of of provincial uh, governments that are really reflective of the the people's choices in these provinces to address their problems. So um, I think if if Iraq were to have another election, assuming that that's possible, um, I don't think we're going to see better turnout than last time. Uh, we might see that the trend of boycott uh, go even uh, you know, farther than it did in, in, the, in, the, in, the May, uh, in the May 12 election, which is really not, doesn't really help Iraq. Um, I think, I hope that Iraqi voters have learned that partial boycott only helps those who manipulate uh, results and those who can mobilize a solid and more zealot Base of, right. of voters, uh, and I hope that that Iraqi voters will see that in the future and try to to uh, be more assertive in, in going out and, and, and voting on an election day to make their voice heard and to, you know, have increases their you know their leverage in, in, in challenging the results and in and and, uh, and uh, demanding accountability uh, eventually. So. I think the the bottom line is uh, one of the biggest tests that that Iraq will will face is restoring the credibility of the electoral process. And to be honest, the situation with the government formation right now doesn't doesn't bode well. Uh, What we see is uh, a trend of the primacy of transactional politics. And I think it's important to, to, to think of not only what we see, but also what we don't see. What we're not seeing is a discussion, an open discussion about policies, platforms, and, and government uh, you know, programs. But what we see in here are uh, under the table deals in which people are paying others to buy out, to buy out uh, government positions. Now, the damage is done whether the, these rumors are true or not. Right, uh, because you know, once it's out, it's it's, it's you know, out.
0: Perception is it's happening.
3: But you know, logically, if a position, if being in a position of power can generate revenue for the person holding it, then I think it makes sense that that person will be ready to pay for it. Right, and this really does not uh, promise. <clears throat> you know, I think it, it sets the bar too low for expectations from the next government that Iraq is going to have.
0: Jomana, in your travels to Iraq, did you start seeing some of the undercurrents of this disenfranchisement uh, across Iraq, not only in the Sunni and the Kurdish areas, but this distrust of government institutions and uh, basically a a question of who's going to do something about about this?
1: Sure. So I was last there in late March, so that was right before, that was. we were probably one of the last U.S. delegations that was allowed to go to Iraq before the elections, because we didn't want to give any perception that the United States was trying to meddle with, with election results. Um, we went to Baghdad and to Erbil, and I think um, at the time we were getting really mixed readouts in Baghdad because we would talk to some of our folks on the on the ground from, from the embassy, as well as Iraqi judges, and and other Iraqi uh, government officials who would tell us, you know, for the first time, sectarianism is not an issue in these elections. Identity politics is not playing a factor. Um, Even if the militias win, you have to understand that they have over, what is it, 90% support of the people and that we need to let these elections play out um, because they are representative of the people's actual feelings. In Erbil, we obviously got a very different readout because you had a lot of the minority populations who are very skeptical. Um,
0: who was telling you? Are these U.S. officials in Baghdad telling you this?
1: Uh, I'd rather keep okay, it sort of vague, so it was a mix of- oh, U.S.
0: officials, okay. okay.
1: Well, I'm but also- kidding.
2: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding.
1: But <laughs> also uh, Iraqis right, themselves right. from a variety of different um, right. backgrounds. So when you went to Erbil, obviously, the perception was quite different. We would talk to Kurdish officials who would tell us something um, different as well as you know Christian um, you know Shabak other other minority communities all of whom were very skeptical about the actual distribution of funds. Um, accordingly and properly throughout Iraq. What's interesting about these um, protests is that something very similar happened. What was it? About two summers ago, mm-hmm. um, but it did not blow up to the level we've seen it now because Sistani at the time didn't really give it that seal of approval right. that he has now, where he said mm-hmm. any current government official and any previous government, you know, government leaders are not allowed to run. Right. You know, which has put Abadi and uh, Maliki completely out of, you know, as as non-starters in terms of who can be the next prime minister of Iraq. And I think this is very important. Um, you know, what's interesting about Basra is it is, I think, it, not, I mean, it's, it has, what is it? Um, it provides 80% of the country's oil exports and provides $7 billion worth of oil money to Iraq per month. I mean, that's a massive, uh, that's a huge amount of money, none of which the people in Basra are seeing. 17,000 people were hospitalized because the water is contaminated. There's no electricity. Um, And you have a bunch of unemployed youth who are like, you know what, we have nothing to lose. If these elections, if the people in power who are elected in power cannot even form a government, let alone actually allocate funds accordingly, um, then our province is just being exploited. And we we're, we're going to put a stop to this. And if that means we have to protest every day, then we will. And 15, 15 Basrawis have been killed as a result, but right. uh, you know, we'll see.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting in that this, this Iraqi youth movement across, across provinces, across se- this uh, sectarian divide, uh, is cultivating leaders that are not affiliated with th- the traditional religious parties. They're cultivating leaders in, that are social media influencers, that are professors that are entrepreneurs and and this bodes well for 2021 elections to cultivate these leaders that are outside of the traditional status quo religious parties um do they have a chance to succeed uh if these if these uh the status quo politicians and their political parties continue to treat their population this way this is the loudest voice this is the first time all of iraq is saying enough with this malign Iranian influence on our government, our Shia political parties. They're sending a message, not only with burning down the Iranian consulate, Mm -hmm. which you can see in in the screens here, but sending a message to Baghdad that this is not how
2: you treat us anymore. I think, Mike, if if I may just answer this question, because I I work with Iraqi youth to a great extent. Uh, When you meet with them, this is exactly what the, you know, what you said is is exactly what what they tell you, is that we we don't see this political system as our political system. We don't uh, necessarily remember what Saddam Hussein did. And when I say Iraqis, I mean all Iraqis, you know, who live in Iraq at the moment as you know, a territorial, you know, country. Sixty okay. percent of the population is under the age of 30. Absolutely. You know, starting from, you know, Kurdistan all the way to uh, to Basra. And they're very frustrated with the political elite. Uh, and uh, they don't only see that the political elite is uh, playing a, um, and a very unproductive role in uh, leading the country, but they also see, uh, as you mentioned, you know, other countries, you know, playing a role in, in the country that's not for the interest of Iraq uh, necessarily. And, I mean, in the, in the case of Basra, I was uh, pretty... You know, uh, surprise that the Iranian consulate was burned down. I think this is a milestone for events right. in Iraq that the Iranian consulate in in Basra, uh, which is literally geographically Iran's backyard, uh, right. was burned down by young protesters. And right. I th- I thought it, saw, it sent a strong message, you know, throughout uh, throughout the country about uh, how Iraqis uh, see the foreign influence of of different countries. Uh, there was. A, an attempt to also go after the U.S. consulate in Basra, which, as you know, the, it's a... It's, but, it's,
0: but not from it's, the protesters. It, it was the... It was not...
2: The malicious. Uh, I, it, it has never been attributed, but uh, somebody tried to go there, but uh, right. there was a strong push to, to prevent that. And that, that also sends a strong message about the, the position of, of the U.S. In, in the eyes of the Iraqis these days, because, as you know, you served in in Mosul and you served in, in in Ambar, I'm sure, in which uh, pers- you know perceptions and perspectives change about the role right. of the U.S. You know, in Ambar they used to attack us, attack U.S. forces. You right. know, from 3 I remember when I was in, in Baghdad. You know, in May of 3 I started hearing people from Fallujah saying we you know we were going to do something about the presence of the U.S. and something you know not right, not productive, right. but but then by O6 it changed, right? So so there's a changing the, the dynamic, but those youth. I think if we look at the uh, twenty twenty-two, uh, that, that's where the U.S. can you know, uh, play a role in keep, first of all keeping an eye on the country and second uh, engaging uh, Iraqis people to people, not meet with the same people, not engage right. the same people because that uh, engaging the same people uh, can also harm you know the image of the U.S. and, and the yeah,
0: I'd like to. I'd like to take back my one of my statement. Yeah, you're right. The the Shia youth in in Basra would have every right to try to storm the U.S. consulate as well because they continue to see the U.S. prop up these religious parties that have not served them well. Mm. Uh, it's the U.S. position that the status quo stays intact, mm, mm. and so I wouldn't be surprised. I was just talking specifically about the uh, the mortar attack yeah, on the consulate, which I, was attributed to Ah. Absolutely.
2: Two different efforts. I mean, this talks to it goes to the to the backslide in security that you talked about. It's not only ISIS, but you see other other source of activities that, when you look at it from a security perspective, is also concerning. Uh, Who is who is carrying out those kinds of activities? It's it's never easy to tell. But uh, if you look at indicators and warnings, I think you can tell who's who's carrying out those activities. Do you want to follow up on
0: that? Uh, Sure.
2: I I think. uh,
3: One of the important things that we need to look at is not only the, you know, the what the burning of the of the Iranian consulate in B- in Basra tells us, but also the fact that the Iranians reopened the consulate four days later. I think that sends a, an, an important message, uh, a sinister message, that uh, you know Iran is 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 not going to give up uh, easily. Right. Uh, that is committed to uh, to maintaining a a, a you know, deep influence in that uh, in that city in Iraq. In general, you know, if if that was the German or the Saudi or the uh, Mexican consulate in, in, in an Iraqi city, it would take four years probably for for that right. country to to regroup and, and decide and reconsider and, and, and reopen an, a, a consulate. But the Iranians are you know are not wasting time about this. Um, to Your question on you know whether the youth in the Iraqi youth have a chance in in 2022, I think. I think we might have a, a, a showdown probably sooner than that right um, I, you know I, I think as you know September and October roll in and, and the season changes and don't un- underestimate the, the, the importance of weather in, in, in Iraq and the heat and what the heat can do to, to social uh, you know dynamics. It's not a surprise that several of Iraq's you know uh, revolutions and and, and and coups happened in July. Uh, the the political elite might get a get a you know may, might be saved by the weather, I think, in, in September October. But things will come to another uh, showdown, I think, in, in next summer if the new government does not change from. You know, it does not change and improve on the legacy of its predecessors, and you know, my prediction is it's not. Uh, at best, it's going to match the past. That's not going to be enough. We're going to have another escalation next year. Now, that could mean uh, that opens a lot of uh, opens up a lot of probability possibilities for for the future. Uh, it could be faced by uh, strong repressive action, and we all already see. You know signs of of, of, of uh, you know some of the uh, the Iran affiliated militias and parties trying to create uh, kind of like a, a copy of the besiege of the of the of the uh, voluntary mobilization force right. in, in in Basra to kind of create a reserve to try and not control just the. The, the intersections and the, the important sites, but also the street on, on, the, on the more granular level.
0: And they, can they do that in, in addition to providing security for the Iranian consulate?
3: <laughs> we'll see about that. Um, right. uh, so, you know, what, 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 what this means for the future is that they are, I think, the, the, the political parties, especially those with, with, with armed wings, they anticipate a clash. They anticipate a, a trend rate coming. They they anticipate a with the
0: Iraqis with
3: the Iraqi youth, and you know that's that's what their preparations are saying. Uh, so you know, this could turn into a chronic repressive situation. Iraq could become. Uh, in a way similar to what, where Iran is today, where you have a, a large segment of the population that is disillusioned with the regime and is trying, is yearning for change, but the regime has, through its, you know, party, militia, and 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 street militia organizations capable of, of maintaining security, uh, or things could, you know, blow out of control. So I think the next 12 months are going to be quite interesting in, in Iran, quite dangerous in Iran.
0: And I'm sure during your time, Jamana, you saw the reports of uh, Sunni males disappeared by militias, uh, uh, some of the militias making – you know, taking people away. Uh, we've seen reports where both Abadi and, and the U.S. government uh, representatives have said that they're looking into these reports of, of people disappearing. But in these protests in the south, we've also seen the militias disappear Shia male youth that are part of these protests. And, and, and these are things that are going on almost uh, at, a, at a more rapid rate than are going on in Iran with, with the number of Iraqis that have been killed in protests versus the number of Iranians that have been killed by besieged forces or other forces. So uh, with all these indicators, uh, do, you, do you agree with Omar that we're likely to see clashes with, with Iraqis against this status quo now that the status quo is armed with militias that are backed by a, a foreign power?
1: Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think I agree with both of my uh, co-panelists on these issues, but yeah, you're right. When we were in um, in Baghdad, we met with Iraqi judges who we talked and confronted, sort of, about the the de-Isisification camps that they. Um, have especially uh, throughout the north, where you are guilty by association if your cousin happened to have joined ISIS, or if you know you came from a certain village where there were many different um, I, you know people who joined ISIS. So uh, we also saw very public images of Sunni men being dragged by Shia militias throughout the city. So this this is um, this is a real phenomenon. They uh in Baghdad no. Well. So this is in the north, but the north. we were talking with Iraqi judges right. in Baghdad. Right. Um, but absolutely, I think in the past couple of, uh, actually since late July, since the Basra protests, we've seen you know youth being hit on on television and attacked and etc. by by these militias. And I I agree with them in that the clashes are definitely not just. I think it happens to be more intra-Shia now because the Shias happen to control more power in in in. Iraq right now. You have the Sunnis who have, you know, after depathification, you had them confront, then Al Qaeda was a problem within the community, then ISIS. Now a lot of them have been um, uh, displaced. And so you have the Sunnis are really, they're not together. They haven't, I mean, they're not able to join any of the coalitions because they really don't have a united front. Even Halbusi, to be honest, I mean, the reason why he was able to really uh, be appointed as speaker of the parliament is also because of the support he received from Fatah. Very recently, it was right. made very public that he received um, critical support from the uh, from the Shia militias to to move forward in that capacity. And he, as a Sunni, publicly said that they will that the Iraq will not be complying with with, the US, with sanctions. U.S. sanctions against um, against Iran. So I don't I don't want to you know dumb it down to sectarianism or to identity politics, I think it does a disservice really to the more pervasive issues in Iraq. I think it comes really down to politicized um, patronage networks yeah. that even Abadi, who is considered in our eyes sort of the least of all evils, is very guilty of. I mean, he, he controls to some extent some of the government coffers, and he does use them to spend on, on those who you know, support him politically in the same way that many of the Shia militias and ministers in parliament um, do, you know, they they all do sort of, they all play the same game um, regardless of sect.
0: Yeah, what's interesting about that, it's, it's the strongest tribe concept. Uh, I interviewed some uh, Ramadi tribal sheiks uh, after the Mosul offensive. And they basically said, if the U.S. isn't going to be our ally, then we're going to go with Iran. We're going to go with the strongest tribe, the strongest player. In, on, on the field. And you see that with Halbusi, you see that with the PUK, you see that with other groups that have actually tilted towards these positions, not because of necessarily sectarianism or it doesn't play a role. It's about who's the main player, who is invested in this game. And um, you, you, you can say positive things like, well, you know, Halbusi is now the, the speaker of the parliament. He's Sunni. And now we have uh, Baham Salwa, he's Kurd. Look at this unity government. But it's really... The ones that are lining up with the most. That's because it's player. mandated
1: in the Constitution to be divided along sectarian you know,
0: lines. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, but you know, it's not
1: necessarily that they agree. No,
0: There'll never be a Sunni prime minister. they will never be a Kurdish prime minister. It will always it's not be a Shia. mandated. No, well, it's yeah. just uh, it's Good. just Good. what we did. It's I'm
1: the Minshuatab, It's the <laughs> Exactly. It's
2: so a political. No, but I think, Michael, I mean, well, you know, well, what you what you talk about as well is that, uh, and what uh, Jumana said, Omar said as well, and what we see on the ground as well, it's about governance. You know, what right, people right. want is good governance. They they don't really... Uh, you know, care about uh, the ethnicity or the sect of the person who's going to give them good governance. I, I guarantee right. it. If the governor of Basra is an Iraqi Sunni, but is a good governor, the people of Basra are not going to say right. he's an Iraqi Sunni. You know, people who care about uh, you know the ser- service delivery and having you know good services. And I think uh, you know as, as well uh, what, what will be just important moving forward, even in terms of governance, is the role of the U.S. Because uh, even when you look at the protests in Basra. Uh, you know, the Iranian press came out very strongly and accused uh, our consul general Ambassador Basra, Timmy Davis, of orchestrating all these protests. Even right. though, uh, you know, Timmy Davis, you know, consul Timmy Davis is one of the most active, uh, you know, uh, diplomats in in Iraq, but not in the way that the Iranian media portrayed it. So there is there is a perception as well that. Uh, the U.S. is very active in Iraq. The U.S. is uh, is doing, you know, work on the ground in Iraq and is 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 engaged, you know, with, with multiple actors, which I think is very important. And sometimes in D.C., we tend to look at the big uh, the big names and what they do, but there are other, you know, the U.S. diplomats who really who, who who are trying to build this people-to-people relations, which we I think as the United States failed to build over the last 15 years. Uh, you know, when. when uh, when it's difficult for uh, an american to go to iraq uh, and you know travel freely in, in some parts that's not a, that's not a good outcome after 15 years of investing in in iraq right exactly. uh, but now we see some changes in 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 that direction with the work of you know some of uh, you know some of the us diplomats that we have in the country
0: and the biggest problem is those diplomats will rotate out of Iraq in the next three to six months, and we we'll have brand new ones coming in. We'll I, see, I see. I see many colleagues.
2: I see many colleagues from the State Department, in the audience, uh, and I have expressed this to them privately. I think that has right. to change, but yeah. it's, it's difficult to change that rotation system. is difficult. <clears throat> to change. So that's why, and as you know from from the Iraqis, you know the same face sometimes is important as long as it's that face is effective and able to deliver on on, uh, on so the. So as promise. long as
0: it's not Brett McGurk.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know about that, but I That's think just it, me,
0: so I, I know my panelists don't agree with it.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I think, you know, the Iraqis, they appreciate, you know, sustained engagement and, you know, people who understand them and people who get to know their background. And uh, right now with the diplomatic team, U.S. diplomatic team in country, there is, you know, there is some of that. Uh, and that's why Iraqis, you know, care about the panel that we're having now. They care about- They, they do care
0: about it. And on a serious note about Brett McGurk. Brett McGurk condemned the, the attack on the Iranian consulate. Mm-hmm. And Iraqis wondered why he did that. Mm-hmm. He recently asked uh, Sunni uh, C.O.R. members to back a body, and they publicly stated that he was trying to pressure them and that they went against his recommendations. And he's lost a lot of trust with with the with the the Kurdish parties specifically, uh, based on the the actions over the last year. So, as you as you look at these um, U.S. engagement in Iraq, uh, you keep hearing these narratives that, that everything's OK. I heard something from DOD today that I couldn't believe, that the US has more influence in Baghdad than Iran does, and that we've never been stronger with the Kurds than we are now. And, and I can't disagree with those two narratives more. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, I, I
3: think I, I would probably disagree a little bit with that. Uh, you know, I think a number of things that are important to remember here is that Iran is very difficult to compete with in terms of conducting, con- conducting diplomacy and, and, and building relationships. Uh, they, we have a, f- a textbook that we have to follow. We have rules. We have protocol. We have law. Uh, Iran has a lot more flexibility because it does not really, is not really bound by, by these things. And it has been building relationships uh, for decades. You know, Hadil Amri, who was the leader of the second largest bloc in parliament right
4: now, right.
3: Uh, he fought alongside Qasem Soleimani in the trenches yes. in the Iran-Iraq War. Uh, now, that how do you match that? What kind of relationship?
0: You ignore it. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what we've been doing. You ignore that relationship. So
3: you, you can't. It, it is not easy to compete with that. What kind right. of, you have to think of really creatively about creating other means of leverage. And using that smartly to, to to compete with, with this depth of of relationships that, that Iran has created, and I think, you know, uh, similar goes for you know similar trends in the in the uh, in the Kurdish question. Uh, I think the Kurdish leadership uh, didn't exactly hide uh, their uh, rather dissatisfaction with the with the U.S. position uh, and handling of the post referendum tension between. Uh, the, uh, the Kurdistan region government and, and, and the government in, in, in Baghdad. And uh, I think they were sending indications that, you know, you didn't come to our aid when we needed you. Uh, right. We'll have to, you know, to, to live with geography and live with the realities of, of, of our position here and, uh, you know, uh, make, make things work with the, with the actor that is involved and calling the shots on the ground.
0: Consistent. Yeah, and you and I spoke about uh, that distrust that was that started to, to grow after the Gulf War, right. after we in, uh, encouraged a revolution and then abandoned a revolution, a Shia revolution against Saddam, and then Saddam put it down.
3: Not, I think, by design. I don't think that was intentional. But it was a, you know, if we go back to to, to that uh, to those events, it was a probably a. Jumping the gun on, on, on supporting something, supporting an initiative that it's something the we do. In the U.S. diplomacy, U.S. position in, as a leader of the coalition couldn't possibly support without undoing that very coalition that existed for a specific purpose, which was restoring Kuwait's right. sovereignty, it, rather than you know taking out the sovereignty of
0: of another. It's something we're very good at uh, declaring victory and then and then leaving and allowing all these things to happen. We continue to do that. In, uh, you know, President Obama did that uh, with Iraq when he, when he left and President Trump almost did that with Syria until he was encouraged to stay in because the last thing you want to do is have a bumper sticker campaign where you've declared victory over something. We saw George Bush do that as well, declaring victory after uh, after the invasion of Baghdad. A- and these bumper sticker campaigns actually lead to security backslide. And we'll talk about security backslide in, in, a, in a little while. But the um, the... Sistani fought once. Uh, you know how are they? Are they? My perception is they're listened to when they're popular and they're ignored when they're not. Is that is that fair? Is it? You know.
1: I mean, he's been he's incredibly popular right now, and I think he's playing a very critical role. Um, it's. I, I think. I mean, Sistani when it was you know after the Kurdish referendum when he stepped in and said you know we have to you have to halt the fighting. He's he's very strategic about. When he decides to say something or not, at least when it comes, I think to the strife that's that's happening, the conflict, the direct confrontation between various Iraqi parties, and I think right now, um, you know, it's tricky because he's has this veto power over individuals who may not be in the best interest. You know, for Iraq's long-term interests, Abadi and Maliki, um, and Naamri as well. But at the same time, is do you want an? You know, do you want Iraq to be susceptible always to you know needing religious the religious establishment and Najaf to come in and say. You know, guys stop, we have to you know, you have to find a different solution or or what have you. Like I, having a cleric needing to to step into politics I don't think is in the long term interest of any Middle Eastern country. Is so. it
0: in US interest to oppose Sistani and continue to push Prime Minister Abadi as a as a candidate when Sistani has said no?
1: No, I don't think we should be opposing him. I think but we, I think but what we he's, are. Uh, Sure, but I, I think that he actually should be, I think, in my opinion, listening a bit to what he has to say, because I do think he comes, he's a bit more pragmatic than some of the other actors that are frankly, that are on the scene. Um, and he has a he has a pretty good pulse, and he does have a huge following um, that I think we should definitely take into consideration.
3: If I may add a few things, I think, I don't think uh, Tula Sistani likes to be dragged into politics very often. Uh, I think, you know, the the Iraqi people generally, and you know the the, the Shia community uh, specifically, uh, they have more admiration for religious leaders who don't get involved in public commentary on politics day in and day out. So it's it is political capital that is being expended every time Najaf has to say something and has to rule in, into political matters. Uh, I think with the Marja had a, you know, quite a period of, of 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 you know of not really doing, not really intervening much in politics until 2014 when they had to intervene and call for the, uh, pe- yes. for people to volunteer to uh, to save the country from from ISIS.
0: Um, a a now, popular fatwa.
3: It was a popular fatwa that was manipulated. <clears throat> I think it was, uh, you know, by by some political actors. The, the fatwa was never about forming. Right auxiliary forces. Outside but when of,
0: Sustani said to stop that, they still did it anyway. Right.
3: Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's difficult once you set a momentum in in a right. direction, it's difficult uh, to to control it, and especially you know in a state of, of war. Um, you know, I I think that uh, I would 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 rather not get get involved, but. Uh, he, he is under pressure. You know, I, th- I think there's, there, there's pressure. People expect guidance when they see the, uh, the way uh, that the political elites are dealing very lightly with, with, with the fate of the, and the future of the country. Um, I don't know how much you know, uh, you know the last uh, latest fatwa on, 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 the, on the nomination of the, of the prime minister. Uh, is, is going to affect things because, again, uh, the transactional nature of of the, of, the, of the political of the government formation process now might uh, might overwrite that, and that would, you know, generally not be a good thing for the, for the image of the of the Right. Uh, we'll I, see.
2: I, I think Mike, you know, with Gran Aydoglu uh, he sent a very clear message about his views uh, with regards to the political system before the elections. A week before the elections, when uh, one of his uh, representatives gave a speech in Karbala and uh, did not urge Iraqis to go vote, he just said, it's, it's your choice, whether you vote or not and i think it i think that that speech contributed to the uh, low low turn, turnout that we saw on election day so gulam Sistani also knows the pulse of the street very well you know his office and also people close to him they know the pulse of the street uh, better than uh, i'd say even myself because uh, they, they they always uh, study it, so uh, the, the clear was the message was clear: is that the political system is is very unpopular with the population, and therefore Grand Ayatollah cannot uh, cannot uh, support it uh, at this point. Because, as Omar said, there, it's about political capital, and Grand Ayatollah Sistani, uh, he's not uh, inclined to use his political capital every Friday. Uh, right, right. It's about the big mo- big moments and the big issues. Clearly. Do you want? to say
0: something?
1: No, I fully agree with him.
2: Okay.
0: So, so let's talk about government formation. Uh, the latest alliance seems to be between Hadi al amri and Muqtad al sadr So Hadi al amris Fatah Party and Muqtad al sadrs Seriyum Party. So for those in our audience that don't know who Hadi al amri is, he's the commander of Border Corps, an IRC Quds Force grown, developed, trained, and financed militia that is in Iraq. He is the head of a, a political party. He is uh, – he's worked with the U.S. before. He's worked with us when we when we fought al-Qaeda. Uh, he always denied his role as barter commander until the ISIS offensive in 2014. So you – and the Fatah party is also ask, asking for the immediate exit of the United States. This combined with joining Sehraoum, Muqtada al-Sadr, the commander of Jaysh al uh, back in the day, which was responsible for a lot of American deaths in Iraq, who has has moderated his position and has tried to tilt toward – away from Iran, is now combining with Iran's political party in Iraq. This is the first time a political party in Iraq has an armed wing uh, that is uh, not only bought a corps, but com- is comprised of Kitab Hezbollah, a foreign terrorist organization, uh, Harakat Nujaba, who is being brought up for sanctions in the Senate. Uh, Asab Ahul Haq, another IRGC force militia that's being brought up for sanctions. This is the Fatah party. How do you feel, as Iraqis, that this party and Seriyun are forming an alliance where Sadr said he would never join with Hadi al said he would never join with Maliki? Wow. But I think this grouping of state of law and Seriyun means that um, – correction uh, – Fatah and, and Seriyun means that SOL is –
2: is going to be part of this as well. I don't. I don't think so, Mike. I think you know. what- go- good, good. So, so what? What we see right now with the Iraqi Shia political scene, uh, because you know it's all by stages. You know, the first stage was the Iraqi political scene now with the election of Speaker Halbousi. We know where it stands now. We know where you know. We we know the general outline of it. Now with the Iraqi Kurdish political scene with the nomination of by the PUK of Dr. Barham Saleh. You know, we know where the Iraqi Kurdish. These are the traditional positions, all right? Right, uh, right. Sunni
0: takes over the COR. Exactly. A Kurd yeah. takes over the presidency, yeah. and these it's are. It's a d- political this this happen regardless, yeah,
2: right? I mean, a few modifications. Yes, A few, yeah, a a few modifications, but so now, now we're now we're about to find out, you know, what is, uh, you know, what what is the scene or what is the attitude within the Iraqi Shia political, uh, you know, political camps and. I think the driving, you know, the driving force right now by Fatah, by Sa'i Irun, you know, by Hadi, uh, Hadi al-Amri and, you know, Muqtada Sadr is possibly to actually eliminate Da'wah as the dominant political party in the Iraqi political scene, because Da'wah, the Da'wah political party. Uh, I don't think many people know it has been ruling Iraq for the last 13 years. Yeah, and these protests are against Dawa Exactly. So, uh, so 13 years out of the 15 years that the war, you know, that the war had, you know, that Saddam was removed, is a long time. So a lot of people see the Dawa party as uh, the cause of many of the problems that Iraq has today, on service delivery, the political culture that has developed within the country. Um, so now I think you know, you know, and Fatah. Maybe they see this as their opportunity to uh, to deal. That was a very strong blow because what happened with the election of Speaker Halbusi, and that's why I think I, I try to stay away from you know uh, who won Iraq, Iran or the U.S. Even with the with the Halbusi, you know the Halbusi election is that it was about the Iraqi political scene because yeah. the dominant as as you know from the Ambar days in particular the dominant force political force within the Iraqi political scene is the Iraqi Islamic Party, the IIP. Uh, which also dominated uh, since 2000, I would say 2005, you know, when everybody boycotted the elections in those right. provinces, the IIP was the only one that said, go vote, right? right. and they control the position since then. So, the IIP now is in a, in a much weaker position in the Iraqi. Can you,
0: can you tell our viewers, I, IIP, what does it stand for? The Iraqi
2: Islamic Party. Okay. Yeah, the Iraqi Islamic Party. So, I forgot about our, our viewers on, on C-SPAN in particular, oh. you know, my, my favorite channel. So. Uh, so I would say I would say now we we're looking at this uh, as a very you know strong competition within the iraq Shia political scene about the future of Dawa and what it means you know what Iraq means post Dawa really.
0: The most interesting photo I saw was one where they merged a body and Maliki together, in their protest in Basra. Now, do, don't Iraqis also consider a body part of this Dawa machine? I
2: think, at the moment, yes. Uh, I think before. A month and a half ago, the answer—my answer would have been no. Actually, two months ago, before the beginning of, of these protests, uh, now he's is, he is widely seen as part of the of the Dawa political uh, environment, uh, which I think it speaks to the calculation that the that prime minister Abadi made uh, when the Basra protests picked up, uh, you know, by June, you know, mid June, right. or actually, you know, more on July twelfth, you know, to be more exact.
0: Well, will any rejection of Maliki's Dawa party have to include Fatah as well, though? Because Hadi al-Amri and Maliki are, are, are very close, has there been a schism between State of Law and FATSA that we're not aware of? I, I
2: mean, I don't mean to monopolize, but because I follow this very closely, I think you know the relationship between you know, uh, Hadi al-Amri and you know Vice President Maliki is still close as as, as far as we can tell. But uh, I I can easily predict that if the if it comes down to uh, you know making sure Dawa is weaker. Uh, Hadid amri will be okay with not working with Maliki or sidelining Maliki uh, to to an extent because uh, Dawah has been too dominant in the eyes of many iraq political parties and including, uh, I mean, even these days, the Dawah, Dawah party is going through its own crisis and uh, there they, there might be a decision to kick out, you know, Prime Minister Abadi from Dawah uh, right. because of his, you know, his positions. Uh, so there's a lot of turmoil within Dawah these days as well. Omar, do you want to say anything? Well, uh, I think I agree with Ahmed. I think
3: there is a, a, a desire among the uh, the winning parties to uh, end that monopoly that, that the Iraqi Islamic Party has you know uh, had over the speakership of Parliament and that the Dawa Party has had of the over the, the premiership and to you know basically collect on what they on their on their winnings. Uh, and now the the Dawa party seems to be at its weakest point. Uh, its leaderships are divided. It's technically split into two, you know, uh, as the junior partners in really in, in two competing coalitions. And I still wouldn't call Sa'irun and Fatah an alliance at this point.
0: It changes think, every week. I
3: think <laughs> it's very fluid. You know, we had before the election, uh, Prime Minister Abadi aligned himself in that. With 24-hour alliance with with Fatah, which uh, Sadr called appalling and and condemned strongly, right. and then uh, uh, Mokhtar Sadr uh, he aligned himself with Prime Minister Abadi after the elections, and now he is aligning himself with with with, with Hadi Al-Amiri. So, things are fluid, and I think they will change as things shape up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the die is not cast there.
0: Are you comfortable with predictions?
3: Now, when it comes to the prime minister, even though. Dawa itself might be out. the question is who how, what kind of formula they 're going to find to to, 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 elect the, to select a prime minister and if you look at the criteria, you know Dawa kind of found itself you know, the, the, the party that nominated the prime minister uh, several times because it 's the one party that didn 't have a militia and it was kind of like the weakest uh, person at the table so who 's going to replace that who which party within the establishment? Uh, is going to play that is that
0: Hikma now the Hikma party is it
3: that's you know th- that that's a, possibility. Is it a or,
0: party? is it uh...
3: that's a possibility but you know i think it, it will have to be a weak political it has to be one of the weaker elements of the, of, the, of, the, of the of the political establishment not an empowered one and i think you know i'm I don't know what the, probably the U.S. prefers a, a, a you know a strong and empowered prime minister, but I, I think Iran probably prefers a a, a a prime minister who is beholden,
0: compromise candidate, compromise Kansas candidate.
3: Kansas uh, the more strings that there are that you can pull at, yeah. the more control you have over. You know, the more breaking mechanisms you have over 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 the, over the yeah, yeah. government in the future. You know, if,
2: if if Omar allows me, I think what the you know, the fluidity of the situation is so great as it always is. That's why, if if you're gonna Mike, if you're gonna bring up any of the names for the prime minister position, I will say I'm not gonna comment on that because right, right. it's not gonna be that name exactly at the end of the day because it keeps changing. You know, by the day it keeps changing by the week. As we saw with the election of Halbusi, Hadhushy was the weakest or the newest. of of the faces and the names that were proposed, but the speaker, he, uh, Speaker Halbusi, got, received the position. And and
0: Jabouri was marginalized quite a bit in his role. He was marginalized and pushed around, and I imagine, The one thing about congratulating, the United States congratulated Halbusi on on getting the speakership, and within hours, he invited Mm -hmm. Larajani to Iran, to Iraq to Mm -hmm. to do a a joint statement that they will not support U.S. sanctions on Iran. Yes. I can
3: say something. That is not inherently bad from an Iraqi perspective. Iraq knows that it must tread a very fine line between Iran, between Tehran's interests and Washington's interests.
0: Why, though? Because Iran is there. Well, but that Canada's here and uh, Mexico's here. And I, always, I often say that the Islamic Republic of Mexico doesn't decide our president. Well, here, in this situation... The Islamic Republic of Canada doesn't control our security forces.
3: Uh, in, in this situation, the United States is the 800-pound gorilla in the room.
0: So we're the ones pushing Iraq towards, you, towards Iran. Not <laughs> necessarily. But, 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 I, I would uh, agree with that, actually, uh, in a lot uh, of ways, based on our... Our, our lack of a strategy in Iran, which we'll get to here. Iraq needs to have a, a strategic
3: relationship right, the with the States. I think any rational actor in the political process. The youth
0: is asking for that as well.
3: Absolutely, the youth are asking for that. They know that there are enablers, that there are capabilities that only the U.S. can provide. But at the same time, they cannot piss off Iran. Right. And I think that puts any any Iraqi politician at a, at a, in, a, in a position of, of leadership or decision making uh, position in a. In a in a really tough spot. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that he, they are pro or anti. Right. Right. But they have to walk specifically. specific.
2: I completely agree with Omar and, you know uh, Mike as well. If you look at the you know, back, you know Halbusi's background, your Speaker Halbusi's background, I think he you would we would find out that he spends more time in Amman. Uh, than he spends any right. time anywhere else, as, as far as I can tell, actually. Right, right, right. It's because of the background of his, you know, his political party, you know, the, HAL, the Solution Political Party, which is c- controlled by the Karbouli, you know, Karbouli family. They have very strong ties to, uh, to Jordan, because they're based A Cross-border. In, absolutely. Across, they're from Ambar uh, right. themselves, and uh, they have facilitated the presence of U.S. forces in, in many ways, uh, I'm sure. Uh, many U.S. forces, you know, many, many U.S. officers will remember their role in the yeah. Sahwa. We were the and, strongest uh, tribe during the surge. Exactly, we're exactly. not the strongest yeah. tribe anymore. But I think you know, that's the, you know that we can talk about that. But I also think their regional ties are very important to them. They wouldn't want to sacrifice their ties with Jordan, with Saudi Arabia, with Turkey as. As the backers of Halbousi, you know, because that that's very important. There could be
0: some external pressure on Al Halbousi to tilt away from this this pro-Iran position. I, I think so. He's no. been criticized for it, at I least with so.
2: his I recent think. statements. With his recent statement, I, I think so. I think it's too early to tell if he's I, if he's pro you know pro-U.S. or pro-Iran, but. Uh, his, we know his background, we know the background of his uh, backers and, you know, his, his political party. And his it's not necessarily you know pro-Iranian, it's, it's in fact, you know, very pro-Jordan, or closer to Jordan, closer to Saudi Arabia, closer to Turkey to an extent, and uh, and that, that's not easy to change as far as I can tell.
0: As, as, a, as, a, as a Syrian-American, how, how much do you see the U.S. failure in Iraq contributing to the problems in Syria? Or the, or the U.S. role in Iraq. I wouldn't call, let's not call it. It's not called a failure. Let's just say Iran's role in Iraq, the U.S. role in Iraq, and how that affects Syria.
1: Sure, that's a very big question. Yes, um, I mean obviously, Syrians in the country have looked very closely at the way the United States has handled um, the Iranian militias and. Because Syria is between Lebanon and Iraq, where you have two, you know, two countries where Iran does play a very prominent role, um, Syrians do have the very real fear that the United States leaving is going to leave them very vulnerable, very susceptible to a long-term Iranian presence inside of the country, um, and we're already seeing a lot of evidence of that. I mean. The Iranian militias, many of them that fight in Iraq and have fought against ISIS, have also been fighting alongside the Assad regime. Al Ahl al Harakat Hezbollah, you know, a lot of these have been fighting alongside Qasem Soleimani when he's in Aleppo. I mean, there isn't to the Iranian militias, especially, and and many of the, the Iranian sort of uh, military leaders, to them, there isn't really a a border division right. between between Syria and Iraq. Um, even though we try to see it still in those terms, and um, you know, Iran has been—you know—these militias. They they really and looking at sort of the Hezbollah model. You know, they are there to promote you know cultural um, and long term. Um, you know, not excuse me, cultural and and other political interests of. Uh, what we see as as the Iranian government or or you know uh, the IRGC and and and, and these Iranian backed entities so um, the united the united states leaving syria really does it, it really does scare it does scare syrians iran has now universities in every major syrian city it has 32 it has mobilized 32,000 foreign fighters um, many of which have not been Iranian they've been iraqis lebanese afghans Pakistanis, because Iran doesn't want to have to necessarily pay the very high cost that it would you know that they would have to pay if they were bringing Iranians directly from Iran to to fight in Syria. They're instead bringing these foreign fighters that they're promising citizenship and and other benefits to. Um, and 32,000 is, I mean, by many estimates, even more than the ISIS fighters that are, you know, they're in Syria. So to, to to many Syrians, especially those opposed to the Assad regime, especially those watching the severe demographic changes in Syria, what Iran is engineering in Syria is. Is not a short-term plan. It's very much a longer-term proposal um, that uh, that 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 they fear.
0: And it was done in Baghdad in 05 and 06 with the change in demo- demographics in, in, in that city. Right. Uh, to your point about the numbers, 32,000 yes. militias, and they have a reserve in, in Iraq. We're looking at about 100,000. A lot of those are the Sistani volunteers. So I always carve out the the IRGC ones: sure. Kitabizblaih, Harakanejba, Malali. but. We just had this recent estimate. And we're talking about security backslide here in both Iraq. And again, ISIS never saw Iraq and Syria as two different places. Iran doesn't see it as two different places. The United States sees it as two distinct places. Uh, Iraq being a place where you operate differently in the north, differently in the Sunni areas, and differently in the south, which is probably the right mix there. And in Syria, one policy east of the Euphrates, one policy west of the Euphrates. But with this new uh, data point that ISIS is at. 20 to 30,000 strength again across Iraq and Syria. We're seeing a, a, an increase in ISIS attacks in Salah Diyala, yeah. uh, Kirkuk province. And these are places that were liberated, but they were never liberated by empowering Sunnis to liberate these areas, yeah. something that we did in the surge. We empowered Sunnis to secure their own areas because they knew the back alleys, they knew the streets, they knew the people. And in this campaign, we, we, we use a proxy force in Syria with the SDF and the YPG heavy makeup of that construct, and then we use a proxy force in Iraq that is predominantly Shia, and with this controlling element, whether they make up 20 percent of the hostile Shabi or not, uh, they are the leadership. And the leadership is Abu Mehdi al and Hadi al amri So this security backslide, we continue to hear uh, – it's, it's, this is long, I know – but we continue to hear these campaign slogans from, from this administration – ISIS is defeated. We're getting ready to go into 2018 and 2020. Syrians are concerned about the Americans leaving. Uh, the appointment of Ambassador Jeffries to the region was key. Uh, but in Iraq, we simply have, are acting like there's nothing going on there. And we're seeing these militias more concerned about fighting in Syria than continuing to fight ISIS or to con- continuing to do things. And I, I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about security backslide. And, and I guess my question to you is, Iraq and Syria are, are, are tied to the hip, like you said. But do you see security backslide coming at the same time? you see the militias dealing with these youth in the south? You, you talked about a potential clash when the weather changes. I argue that in the winter, more people fight in the winter because it's easier, it's cooler. you can go out, and in the summer you want to stay in and just kind of relax spoken, and watch like
2: a soldier. Roger. <laughs>
0: but um, what are we doing wrong? Yeah. What are we doing right? Can I pick up on that? Yeah, yeah, ones? yeah. I, I want to. We'll throw it to you. I
1: mean, I. I know that was long, I could but... touch on Syria a bit, and yeah. then I'd like to hear from Ahmed al Iraq since um, he just he just came back. So uh, on Syria, I mean, I think there were a couple of things. It's not even that we weren't empowering the Sunni tribes; it was that we weren't empowering the local population, whoever they may be, and right. bringing in external forces that could be Syrian, but from different parts of the country to then, you know, fight ISIS or fight um, well. Fight ISIS. That was our that was our only mandate there. Um, what further exacerbated the problem the situation is that we then um, froze the funds, the stabilization funds, the two hundred million dollars, and, and everyone urged President Trump, please don't do that. I mean, we had um, we met with uh, Kurds from the northeast who were like. We just defeated ISIS. We need this money to stabilize these areas. Education is a problem. Some of these kids haven't gone to school for six, seven years. Um, We're not able to govern these areas. You are leaving us very vulnerable and unable to address these issues so that people can come back home safely. Um, And then coupled with that, of course, there was the, the announcement that, no, our 2,000 soldiers were getting out of there, and we're going to let someone else in the region sort of pick up where we left off. So those three things combined were absolutely, I think, the recipe, a recipe for disaster in Syria. And like you said, we're seeing the appointment of, of Ambassador Jeffrey sort of backtrack on some of those things that I think have helped temporarily stabilize some of the situation in the you know, the northeast in Idlib and the, excuse me, northeast in Qamishli and the northwest in Idlib. But it's still too early to tell um, like all of my, my co-panelists have said, things could take a turn for the yeah. worse very quickly. So
2: I think, Mike, you know what I have to report from my trips is that the security situation <coughs> is backsliding, and uh, there is no point in denying that. You know, by anybody, whether in Baghdad or whether here here in D.C., I think ISIS is uh, re-energized uh, by the metrics that I have seen. Uh, in the provinces that you mentioned and uh, which uh, which were supposed which were you know cleared devices but the follow you know the build the build stage as we remember from the search okay. days you know clear hold and build right. it was clear there is holding now but the building is not taking place and the governance uh, is, is very weak in, in, in those areas. The governance is not being effective, and as a result, uh, you know, if you look at the most recent history of Iraq, it only took two years for ISIS to reestablish itself and launch uh, the campaigns to control Mosul and other cities. So, right. two years of bad governance will lead to ISIS again. I have no I have no question in my mind because uh, we had uh, you know had a good period of, mind, uh, a good, good period of time. You know, uh, back in you know 20 you know 20 uh, 2009, 2010, but then that's when Prime Minister Mariki now Vice President Mariki started to take uh, very counterproductive decisions and sectarian-based decisions right. in many ways, and it led to to ISIS. And we want to make sure we avoid that and uh, not rush. In terms of the presence of U.S. troops, because that's one thing that I think Iraqis right now agree on is that there has to clearly some Iraqis disagree, but the majority want a, you know a sustained U.S. presence in the country, and I think it will. Uh, if, if we're just honest with ourselves, as uh, analysts and analysts within the government as well, and decision makers within the U.S. government and Iraqi government, you know, we we I think we it will save us a lot of trouble because I remember back when. I was working at uh, another place, and uh, you remember Mike reading our reports when right. we were saying, you know, at ISW when we were saying that ISIS is coming back. Uh, very, very few people believed us. Some people, a lot of people, ridiculed us, and you know, didn't call us serious, right? But right. it happened, and uh, we don't we don't want that to happen, that's for sure. But the other back, backslide in security, clearly, I think, which is concerning, is the uh, targeting of the U.S. embassy in Baghdad with mortar mortar rounds. That hasn't happened in a long time, I think. I think that. I think that, that was has to be
0: attributed to Ah as well.
2: Exactly. I think the the US government attributed it to uh, to you know Iraqi Shia armed groups, and I think we have to take that seriously as well. You know, that 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 cannot continue because Baghdad is as safe and as stable as I've seen it in about 10 years, and uh, events like that could could lead could really destabilize the city and destabilize the population as well.
0: We could actually find ourselves in the scenario with government formation where even the moderate parties are asking for. The U.S. exit of Iraq, mm. uh, and, and if not an exit, to, to hide, to hide U.S. forces, to not to not have them out in the open. So, is to, to that to that, and I'll open up to questions here in the audience here shortly. Um, is that something the U.S. should do? To, to, should the U.S. leave with this security backslide issue? Mm. If the parties asking the United States to leave while we have security backslide, where we have this increased IRG Force militia presence, where you predict an upcoming clash with the Shia youth and these militias, should the United States leave if asked, or should we simply stay because this part of the world keeps incubating these existential threats?
2: I think we have to go back and look at the lesson of uh, 2011, uh, when President Obama uh, decided to withdraw U.S. forces. Uh, it was a premature decision, and uh, I think Iraqis look at it now, and they, they learned the lesson, you know, of that withdrawal. So having a-
0: Same b- lessons we talked about with the Gulf War,
2: the th- continued distrust of U.S. I think commitment. So. I think so, because uh, really right now, with, uh, with 5,000 U.S. troops, the U.S. has a lot of influence, and it can uh, not only political influence, but also, you know, military influence and hard, hard power influence. That, that you need in Iraq, as as you know, Mike. You know, soft power can only get you you know so far. You need the hard power with you. So uh, a withdrawal, of, like a quick withdrawal of U.S. forces, will uh, will not be good for for Iraq, and I don't think it will be good for U.S. interests either.
0: Jamal. No, think... Okay. Omar?
2: Yeah, no, I, I I totally agree. I think uh, if at all
3: possible, we should try to avoid having you know having that debate. Uh, of of when, when an Iraqi government actually asks, asks the U.S. To, to leave, that would be ill-advised for, for I think for any Iraqi government. Uh, ISIS is a lot easier to defeat when it's entrenched in a town than to eradicate when it's out in the in the open. Right. Uh, yeah, well said. They are resourceful. They are extremely diligent, and they are they don't waste time. While we're speaking, you know, even though. You know, the tempo of operations may be you know, relaxed. Uh, there is, I don't think we should have – there is no reason for us to think that ISIS is not preparing for its comeback. Uh, it has resources all across the region and even in faraway places. And there is no reason to think that they are not working to reestablish their presence in Iraq and in Syria, in that – especially in that vast desert area uh you know, east of the Euphrates and and and, uh, and west of the Tigris. Um a continued US presence I think is, is, is essential and not only you know a, a token presence but one that is active and then one that is based on addressing the specific enablers that can allow an early detection of a of a of a dangerous resurgence intelligence
0: especially. What's the unemployment rate in Iraq? for the youth. Is it about 25 percent? Is it higher than that? Is it 40
2: percent? I, I haven't seen the most recent figures. I don't know if you guys, if my core panelists have. Depends where. Somewhere between there is where. Somewhere between it's, 20 it's and 40 uh, yeah. percent. I'd say, I'd say it's pretty high. And you can clearly tell by where the protests are, you know, the highest places of it. So Basra uh, is, I think, it, it would be very high. Uh, you know, Maisan province, which is right. also close to the Iranian border. Also I think it will be pretty high. Uh, Mosul, clearly, but Mosul right now is going through a phase of uh, let's rebuild the city. Let's not focus on the politics of, of the country at all. Actually, let's, let's you are waiting
0: for the money to come in, though. That's I, think so. I think so. They're waiting for for I the money so. to come in. I,
2: I think I think Michael, that's one of the things that we did not come up so far is the re, you know rebuilding post ISIS because uh, before Mosul, you know, a year ago we were talking about post ISIS and what we, what should be done post ISIS. Uh, I was part of lot of uh, a lot of conversations back then, and I think we have to come back to this conversation now, which is, what are we doing post-ISIS? Because there isn't a lot going on, and I think with the reconstruction of Mosul, it's very slow. It's actually not happening. It's not be- happening. It's
0: not happening in Ramadi exactly, either, and exactly. and the reason it's not happening is, is, is the majority of the parties that, that won in this election came in first, second, and third. Uh, the Nasser party is more inclined to put reconstruction fronts Ramadi. in Ramadi and Mosul, but the other two parties were not. And what about the bereavement for the, the Shia volunteers that died fighting ISIS? Yeah. What about these areas? Should it just go to the Sunni areas? And something that the World Bank and the... Uh, and uh, the uh, IMF. Yeah, IMF have, have told Baghdad, listen, we're not going to give you this $30 billion in guaranteed funds if you don't uh, push redirect it into someone. these Sunni areas, redirect it, and... and, yes. and m- marginalize and, and curb the Iranian penetration of economic sectors, where Iran has already set up shell companies to do the reconstruction, mm. like they're trying to do in Syria. Mm. And the argument that Russia is making, that Very they want U.S. money to be able to do this reconstruction, but they're not reconstructing Sunni areas to bring back in Sunnis. They're reconstructing these areas to bring in new people that are likely to vote for Assad.
1: They're building a land bridge across Syria right now, as we speak, the, 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 for their the, own interests. are, so can... and
0: it's, it's tough when you can't get DOD to admit that there's a land bridge. Uh, that's being built. I want to open it up to questions, and I'm going to come back and, and allow you guys to do your, your two-minute uh, closing statements as well. Awesome. We started late. We started at 12:35, uh, so we're going to go to 2:05, and we'll start we'll start here with Lori. Lori Milroy, Curtis Twenty
4: Four. Um, my question: You've presented a very grim view of Iraq. Particularly the Bush administration thought it was going to transform the Middle East through democracy in Iraq. So here we are 15 years later. My question to you, do you think the United States should keep muddling on the way it's been going, or is there something, I realize there's no easy solution or fix on this, but is there a different orientation that the United States might take towards dealing with Iraq, towards making it somehow a better situation in the future?
3: Who wants to take a first stab? Okay, we'll, we'll okay. OK. Sure. How about you want to take Sure, sure. Okay. Uh, no, I think, uh, yes, I mean, the, the, the prognosis in Iraq has not been great. Uh, there has been a lot of setbacks, and uh, part of that is because of the early problems that were, you know, they were made in the during the political transition in 2003, 2005. Part of that, because of the disengagement that happened in in 2010, 2011. Uh, if there's anything that the U.S. can do, is is to really to acknowledge the problems, not uh, hope for you know, small problems to go away on their own, but rather to address them head on. Uh, not to overestimate its influence in Iraq, but also not to uh, abandon Iraq to the notion that Iraq is lost to Iran. Uh, there, it, the relationship has to be based, I think, on, a, on, on an engaged and sincere partnership uh, To Get Iraq through uh, the next phase, and I think, like I said earlier, that the uh, the, the next year or so are going to be quite uh, decisive because of the uh, the fragmentation of the of the political uh, establishment. And if we don't, if we let the political establishment to its own devices, and to Iran's manipulation, uh, and to the devices of transactional politics, uh, then you know, uh, I think we're going to be next year where we were probably in t- 2013. Uh, and that requires, I think, a doubling down on the diplomatic effort and on the, uh, a number, I think, of, of, of initiatives that uh, probably focus on things related to uh, fighting corruption, increasing accountability, and improving governance.
2: I think uh, just to my my two cents to that is that when you said you described Iraq glory in a you know you presented a grim view, I was feeling happy because this is this is the job that we're supposed to do. Because when it is grim grim, we have to say it is grim. We have to say it's a bad situation, uh, and I you know clearly uh, the U.S. government has to look at it the same way, uh, and anybody who wants to find real solutions for Iraq has look at it, has to has to look at it the same way because. Before the elections, uh, there were some, uh, you know, some some discussions and some arguments that uh, sectarianism has disappeared in Iraq. Uh, I think right. the post the post-election environment tells us sectarianism is very, st- you know, strong and still entrenched in the, in the country. So we we should be we should be honest with ourselves if we really want, you know, some some good solutions. So maybe this is just two cents to uh, my two cents to what Omar said uh, because I, I agree with what he said. Yeah.
0: This is great. We we become the counter-narrative panel. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the all is well in your rock question yes sir can you can you tell us who you are and then Thanks so much.
4: So again, my name is Anas Ibrahim. I'm a social media influencer. Uh, I live in the United States, but uh, uh, most of my videos focus and most of my viewers are in Iraq. Um, the Iraqi youth spend about 300 million hours of watch time on, soci- on social media with me. I receive about 1,100 messages uh, a day from them. So I'm, I'm interacting with them. Actually, Iraq is worse than Uh, what we listen to because when we come here and we listen, we think Iraq is a functioning real country with democracy and it's not. And um, uh, in the past three years I see that sometimes I cannot talk about, uh, and I'll come to a question. Uh, Sometimes I cannot talk about certain people. Uh, Sometimes uh, I felt like the words of al-Sistani, for example, it's uh, set rules to Iraq and I see the Iraqi youth right now are wanting some, something from the United States. They want United—they want to hear that the United States saying, yes, those politicians are as corrupt as you see them. Uh, we're going to do something. And they're waiting for a leader. They're waiting to, uh, for, for the rest of the Western world to do something for them. So how can the United States um, really show those youth that there, there is
2: future for Iraq? Sounds good. Yeah. So, uh, well, honest, thank you so much for uh, for your question and even for for your comment because it is uh, it is important to uh, express and really convey the engagement of the youth, you know, the political engagement of the youth in Iraq, which is which is pretty high actually. Uh, I think with it's not necessarily. I don't know what the U.S. can do. I really can, I, I really don't know what the U.S. can do, but it is. The U.S. is well positioned to to play a role, and uh, not uh, not only uh, a military role, but a diplomatic role, and then this uh, you know people-to-people role that I think is very is very important. That's why I mentioned earlier, you know, Council uh, General uh, Timmy Davis, because in Basra, because I think he's uh, what he has been doing, and if you don't follow him on Twitter, please go and follow him right after this, because he has been doing a lot of a lot of good work in terms of – in Basra, which is a difficult place to work and a place in which we, I think he started from, uh, from a difficult uh, point to, to build the image of the U.S. But that people-to-people – those people-to-people ties I think will be very important. And, uh, you know, the, earlier Omar talked about countering corruption, you know, uh, and promoting accountability in Iraq. That's important, but I'm not so sure what the U.S. can do about that. Uh, but the youth in Iraq is not, and it's an apathetic youth when it comes to voting. But when it comes to political attitude and reacting to the politics of the country, it's not an apathetic group at all. You know, that's I for could
1: sure. just follow up that um, because the same what you're. Ex- expressing here reminds me of the dynamic we also saw in Syria, where you had the youth who were looking for something from democratic countries, some kind of support, some kind of recognition, um, and to stand by them as like, no, your grievances are real. Yes, you're, these guys are dictators or are, you know, trying to manipulate things in their favor economically, politically, etc., and really are trying to exclude you and sideline you. Um, and I, so I, I, I can understand the importance of that. And I think the one, the one thing that's important, I think, for you know, both people who are watching this outside of Washington and others to know that, you know, contrary to common belief, not everybody in the Middle East thinks that the United States should leave. There, we can play, you know, some some positive roles. And I think even if it's. Um, the word I'm looking for, even if it's a uh, it, it, giving giving credence to their legitimate uprisings, you know, or if it's a statement or a tweet from the president or something like this, right. th- these things can actually go a long way in lending support.
0: And that's one of the things they're, they're actually asking for is a is a economic, educational, and entrepreneurial re- relationship with the United States, right. different types of relationships with the United States, so they can actually believe in a future that's not. Dependent on aligning with a party, yeah. oh, wow. and, and I think that's so Hopefully. important. And I, and the failure of the U.S. to, to shed a spotlight on on the Syrian youth's uh, demands, or yeah. at least their the things they were worried about, you know, seven years ago, yeah. uh, has resulted in the mess we're in now. Yeah. Yeah. So this is an opportunity for the United States to help cultivate or promote leaders, but Iraqis to identify them themselves. I think it's I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for the United States. and I don't think it helps when when we're not shedding a light on that at all.
3: If I may yes. add one thing. I, Anas, I think, uh, thank you so much for your comment. I think you raise a very good point, and you reminded me of a very important point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the end of the day, it is for the Iraqi youth to take matters, to take their country back through the electoral process. And where the US and where the international community, the UN, uh, where they can really do something is to push for, Uh, repairing the broken electoral system in Iraq, Uh, not only to push for a a more fair and more uh, functional uh, electoral law, but also uh, for a a proper and legal implementation of that law so that we don't have a situation four years from now where people lose faith in the election and they boycott it, and then uh, politicians in parliament amend the law that elected them four times after the elections have happened retrospectively, retroactively, that is not a functioning uh, electoral system. And I think if there's one critical uh, area where, where the international community can help, is is, is helping Iraq and putting pressure on, on the Iraqi ruling class to, to, to fix that issue so that the Iraqi youth can, in four years, or hopefully even sooner, through the provincial councils, uh, you know change the reality and, and elect true representatives of, of their communities.
0: Uh, yes, sir, then we'll get
4: right to you. Arwan Zabari with the Kurdistan Regional Government. One area that has not been mentioned a lot in this conversation is the economy. I think if, if there's one lesson to be learned from the May 12th election is that battlefield victories did not yield votes among the people. Question for you here is, who is better positioned between the Iran and United States influence in Iraq to empower, to strengthen Iraq's economy where, in turn, it will change the public perception and in turn, will yield better votes, and then you can shape the next government? So economy.
2: I think, I think we're coming – with this question, Karwan, you know, good to see you. Uh, I think with this question, we're coming full circle to the crossroad that Iraq really faces now, which is – does it want to have relations with, uh, let's say, the Iranian government only, and the Turkish government, and the regional countries, or doesn't want to have, you know, relations and you know, with with the international community, you know, writ large? Because uh, we talked a lot about the role of the U.S. here. Uh, there are other countries playing a role in Iraq economically and also people-to-people, militarily. You know, countries, uh, you know, within NATO. I think NATO is, is going to play an important role moving forward. Not only, and then. You bring it back to the economic side. Uh, you know, countries like I think like Spain and, and other countries—they're they're trying to work with the Iraqi to improve the Iraqi economy uh, one way or another. But I think all those countries are facing uh, an obstacle called the Iraqi political culture, which is very corrupt, uh, and it doesn't allow for the for the economy to trickle down to to the rest of the popu- to, to the rest of the population. And uh, that's, why, that's why I think if it's a top-down effort, and it clearly has to be a top-down effort, uh, I think uh, international institutions will have to play a, a bigger role uh, as opposed to uh, regional countries, because I think they're the ones with the access to, to the economy, with the access to you know, the world economy and the world market.
0: I think Iraq is uh, just real quick. I think Iraq is positioned to become a, an actual economic powerhouse if it actually got away from Iran, because a lot of the uh, investment is uh, is is dependent on keeping the IRGC's penetration of Iraq's economic sectors from being cemented. And Iran is looking to offset U.S. sanctions by using Iraq as a shell company in a lot of ways. But what's interesting now is Iran's economy is so bad, so I think the U.S. is better positioned than Iran is. That Iran's economy is so bad that. Iraqis are actually stimulating the Ura- the Iranian economy by traveling to Iran, by spending money in Iran, because the, the rial and the toman are so low. So uh, the U.S. simply just has to use a, that leverage. Did you want to say something? About no, that? I was just saying, you know,
3: there's no question that the world's largest economy is the safer bet. Right. And a country that is, yeah. uh, you know, an important neighbor with which Iraq does a lot of business, but is always on the verge of being entirely cut off from the right. oh, world's world financial market, system. Yeah. Right. So, If I were to make a bet, I would
0: probably bet on Washington. We we just want the U.S. to use this $20 trillion economy to be able to do things. Yes, sir. Promised you a question. Uh, Peter Humphrey, I'm an intel analyst and a former diplomat. Uh, Could we see uh, Quds Force or or VAVOC hit teams targeting these Basra youth?
2: And uh, will the uh, Iraqi government stop that in any way? And second, um, Can you shed some light on the relationship between those
4: youths and uh, Sistani? (coughs) Sistani, uh,
2: in one sense, could be benefiting from this, in that it moves him away from the hegemony of On the other hand, uh, maybe
0: the youths want to get rid of Sistani, too. Uh, So if Sistani sent representatives to the youths and could find them, what would the message be? What's the view of Sistani of the youths? What's the youth's view of Sistani? So uh, two questions: uh, the Sistani question, and also whether or not these RGC force militias have been targeting the protesters, and is the Iraqi military doing anything to stop it?
3: I, I think the the protesters are saying that they're being targeted. Uh, you know, the identities of the of those who are attacking them probably are not easily trackable to to the to the IRGC. But when you see protesters in Basra, you know, a, a week or two ago, uh, wearing masks, basically because you know there are drones circling overhead are being used to target to, to identify them and then, you know, uh, track them to their homes. Uh, you know, th- there is a a, a a robust mechanism that is you know that's trying to uh, to intimidate. Uh, I, I think the, the protesters. So, can the government protect them? I mean, the situation right now, I think, is makes it quite difficult to uh, to maintain. Uh, not only just you know to maintain an order, but to go beyond that to uh, to to, pro- to protect uh, protesters. would uh, welcome you know anything that Ahmed has has on this, but I think it, it's a very challenging situation for the government because um, in the the situation is pretty chaotic at this point. You know, especially I think a lot with the events of the the burning of the consulate and the burning. There's a lot of trigger happy action and. You come in heavy-handed. Uh, you can get tangled in the in, in the violence itself, and you can complicate the problem. I'm um, sorry. what was the other
0: part. Uh, the trust of trust of Sistani and vice versa. Well, I'm
3: uh, not sure. Actually, I I will need to to to, to look this up. Uh, I think you know the. Anas probably has, has
0: has a better insight. Just pull the, a chair up here. Get up here. Yeah, <laughs> the, what the
4: youth have to say. Up to uh, six months ago, um, even though I'm not planning on going back to Iraq, I still was very careful to talk about certain people, and in a closed group on Facebook, 20,000 people, I asked if uh, what do they think of Al Sistani and the political process, and 91% think that the mess we are in is because they listened. To him, back in 2005, 30 percent of Iraqi youth—I'm talking from 18 to 34—don't even believe he's alive, and um, um, he is alive. Like, he is alive. You know, just, just. But just the I, perception I am, of it you, is that they I'm don't telling this. you, this is like uh, in numbers. So um, wow. people right now really want new faces, completely new faces. That, uh, and I'm talking about the Iraqi youth. They want new faces completely, and they don't want to. Uh, uh, they don't want the faces that they see now. So even if I go to them and say, and this is a reason for me that I couldn't convince them to go and vote, because I couldn't tell them, well, there is somebody new, there is somebody good that you could go vote for.
3: Yeah. Seems like a picture of disillusionment with the existing.
4: Yeah, it's
0: interesting, because you see the Hikma party and you see other parties, try, even even Sarayun, trying to uh, represent the youth protest in when the youth saying, well, we, while we agree with some of your positions, y- you are part of the problem. You are still them. So it'll just be interesting to see what lead- leaders are cultivated from this movement, because it actually, I believe, is Iraq's best hope, is to have uh, leaders come out of this, at least to balance some of the status quo positions of the parties. I want to just give you each each a minute just to say the, something that you'd like to say, and then we'll go ahead and wrap this up. I'll start with you, Jamana. Sure.
1: Um, the one thing that I think is worth thinking about is that in reading to prep for this, there were some suggestions that we need to really seriously take the idea of promoting um, a technocratic government going back to sort of you know, having a bunch of technocrats come together to solve some of the economic crises that we discussed earlier. Now, the problem is the annual budget has to actually be approved by the parliament, right? So then you're going to face the political pressure as soon as that happens. But I do think it's something that the United States should should really pay pay attention to and maybe take more seriously is. Uh, considering all these, these protests, they need to be addressed and they need to be addressed as soon as possible and economics is at the heart of it. So something has to be done to address that Out even outside of sort of the political party uh, debates and, and uh, races. So I'll stop there.
2: So uh, thank you again, Mike, and thank you all for being here. You know, three, you know, three takeaways for me. The first one is that there has to be serious work to restore legitimacy to the Iraq political process. I think it's pretty – I think the political process is pretty damaged in Iraq now in the eyes of the population. Second, Iraq uh, really established, you know, good relations and uh, built good relations with many countries over the four years of fighting ISIS, uh, including, you know, the U.S. and NATO. Uh, and uh, and I think Iraq has to take those relations seriously and not uh, squander them just because of government formation or just because of the wishes of, uh, of some of some regional countries and uh, thirdly and very importantly I think governance will be key for, for Iraq moving forward. Uh, Iraqi politicians uh, have not learned the lessons of the rise of Isis uh, and I think one of those lessons was uh, good governance is key because without good governance you can leave, really have a very um, you know, unstable country.
3: I would say that uh, I'd go back and say that the next year is going to be quite important. Um, I think Iraq does not have a problem with income generating income, but has a big problem uh, spending it rationally. And I think that's an area where the U.S. can be more energetic, engaging Iraqi uh, the next Iraqi government to make sure that at least some. Uh, segment of, of Iraq's revenue is spent on critical projects that can address some of the most, most dire needs uh, of, of Iraq's populace: water in Basra, electricity, uh, and, and issues like that. Things that can actually bring down the temperature of the, you know, uh, of, of the uh, of the protest movement. Uh, and uh, the other part is, of course, the uh, the electoral. Uh, process. Legitimacy of that has to be restored. We need to rethink the the, the, the legitimacy and credibility of the election commission, uh, and we need not to be lazy about ISIS. Uh, while while everyone is distracted with government formation and with the uh, with you know manipulating the protest or capitalizing on them, uh, you know the politicians, uh, we need to the, the U.S. and the and the Iraqis and and, and the coalition need to not. Lose sight that, that ISIS is, is making, you know, its preparations. It's not wasting time to make preparations to, to
0: come back. Well, thank, thank you all for, for being here today. That was excellent. I appreciate all of, your, all of your analysis and all of your comments. And thank you to our audience for, for coming today. Thanks to C-SPAN for being here. And uh, we'll do this again in a couple months and see where we're at. Absolutely. Thank you. Right. Thanks.